0: Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. This is episode seven, and today we're talking about seven stumbling blocks to look out for as you work to build a strong, successful, and impactful small business. But before we get into the episode, I want to say something about the current events around the world, but particularly in the U.S., with George Floyd's killing at the hands of the Minneapolis police. If you're listening to this as it airs, it's Tuesday, June 9th. It's now been two weeks since George Floyd's death, and the last two weeks, as you know, have been full of protests, conversations, and calls for justice that is 400 years overdue. First of all, to our Black friends, listeners, and community members, I stand with you and I am committed to fighting this fight for the long haul. I know that being an ally is not something we just get to call ourselves, but it's something that we demonstrate. It's a way of being. It's active. I know that to achieve justice, this isn't something that all of us white people can just be enraged about this week and then forget about next week. I am with you in this fight. To all of the white listeners, I said this last week, but it bears repeating. We can't be silent. This is not a fight that you can sit out. As Desmond Tutu said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. From educating yourself and others, to protesting, to donating, to civic engagement, there are so many ways that you can stand up for justice. Please check out the show notes for the list of resources we've put together. Because Black Lives Matter. Okay, so today is episode seven, and we are talking about, like I said, my list of seven stumbling blocks to look out for as you work to build a strong, successful, and impactful small business. I have to say that when I got done putting this list together, I looked back at it and I was struck by one thing. Every single item on this list has to do with your mindset. I didn't do this intentionally, but when I reflect on the things that I've allowed to get in my way, it's always things related to perspective and how I approach my work and my confidence. If the word mindset feels fluffy to you... Here's a definition I found helpful from Gary Klein, PhD, as written in Psychology Today. A mindset is a belief that orients the way we handle situations, the way we sort out what is going on and what we should do. Our mindsets help us spot opportunities, but they can also trap us in self defeating cycles. Of course, I've stumbled in ways that are unrelated to my mindset, like investing in the wrong things, prioritizing the wrong tasks. Underestimating how long something would take or how much money it would generate. But these mistakes have simply given me more information and helped me refine my strategy and move on. When it comes to concrete actions, I don't seem to make the same mistakes twice. But when it comes to mindset and thoughts, we can repeat the same unhelpful patterns for years, a lifetime even. So if I can do one thing with this episode, I hope to convince you that your mindset is your secret weapon when it comes to business effectiveness. And that you're not stuck with the mindset you have now if it's not serving you. You can consciously work to change it. As a small example from my own life of how the wrong mindset can cost you. My first semester of college, fall 2005, I took a studio art class, drawing. It was several hours, twice a week at 8.30 a.m. And I don't know about other people's college experience, but for me, that was the crack of dawn. I went to every class on time. I spent hours every week doing projects for this class, and I really put my heart into it. When grades came out, I was horrified with the grade I received. It was a passing grade, but for someone who considers herself artistic, had put my heart and soul into the class, and was subconsciously expecting some kind of validation in my grade, I was upset. And when I graduated, it was still the lowest grade that I got in college. Guess when the next time I tried my hand at any kind of art was? 2015, 10 years later, because I let one bad grade from one teacher who graded completely subjectively convince me that I didn't have any talent, that art wasn't my thing. I've enjoyed the path I ended up on. I studied economics, went to work in marketing. But the more that I enjoy where I am now, working for myself on creative projects in a creative community, it's possible that I would have gotten here a lot sooner if that class had gone differently, or if my mindset and reaction to that grade had been different. I have more than a few of these examples in my back pocket personally, and I know a lot of other stories like these. People who spent decades of their lives believing they were bad writers because an elementary school teacher said something unkind. Athletes who gave up a sport entirely after getting cut from one team. Without some conscious work on our mindset, we can be so fragile. We take criticism so hard that we'd rather give up than face more of it. I recently read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, and it really rocked my world. In it, she makes the point that there are two types of people. Those with a growth mindset, people who believe that our basic abilities can be improved, who thrive on challenge and see failure as a learning opportunity, and those with a fixed mindset, people who believe our abilities are pretty much what we're born with. She tells stories of failures, rejection, and criticism that some of the most talented people in the world have received and how they used their growth mindset to learn from their challenges and get even better. The good news is, even if you don't have a growth mindset now, I definitely haven't always, you can develop one. You just have to do the work. As a sneak peek, today we'll be talking about things like perfectionism, comparison, and what I'm calling to-do list barnacles. And while this is a podcast about small business, and so I framed this in terms of business for the most part, all of this applies to life in general as well. So let's get into it. Number one, perfectionism. Yeah, I'm not easing us into this one at all. We're starting with the big one. The first way that perfectionism comes into play is when we won't put the thing we're making out into the world until it's perfect. In other words, we procrastinate. Procrastination is a direct outcome of perfectionism. Procrastination doesn't always mean we're sitting on the couch watching Netflix. In fact, we can procrastinate productively. Here are some of the things that might look like productivity, but can actually be procrastination in disguise. Waiting till you're better at XYZ until you put it out in the world. Doing copious amounts of research on how to do XYZ when you actually probably know enough to get started. Spending a lot of time working on unnecessary details and chasing shiny object after shiny object. As an example, let's talk about me starting this podcast. I have been a bit of a perfectionist about the content. I want it to be super, super useful to you. I don't want to waste your time, and I want you to get a lot out of it. I know I have it in me to create awesome content, but I've struggled a little bit with my mindset. So even in the weeks leading up to the launch of this podcast, here are some of the things that I found myself doing. Learning a lot of fancy features on how to display podcast audio on Instagram. Downloading a lot of people's podcast launch checklists and things like that. Googling about how to create content for podcasts, setting up a really super organized Google spreadsheet and elaborate Google Drive organization system, and so on. And while I did eventually get down to making the content when launch day got closer and closer, I wasted a lot of time. Why does it matter if we procrastinate? Because it puts distance between where we are now and where we want to be. The second way that perfectionism comes into play is when we wait for the perfect time until we do something. Here are some instances of times I've waited for it to feel like the right time. Start posting my artwork online. Quitting my job. Leaving a city that actively made me unhappy. Investing in support for my business. Learning yoga. Building a daily writing habit. All of these things are things I wanted to do for years before I actually started. And all that did was slow me down by years. Waiting for it to feel like the right time is one of my specialties and something I battle constantly, but I'm trying to practice taking action, even if everything isn't quite perfect yet. My partner Kate had a sign on her mirror in her college dorm room that said, intent does not equal action. And it's so true. When in doubt, take action. If you're wondering why things aren't happening, just take some action. Here's a quote to make you think. Mason Cooley said, to avoid doing anything, wait for the right circumstances. So a couple tips on beating perfectionism. First, deadlines and public accountability are key, at least for me. When it comes to my life, this combination is a dream team. Maybe, like me, you need a friend who helps check in with you on deadlines. Maybe you have a coach, or maybe you publish your launch date publicly so that people are waiting for something. This kind of pressure just helps us get it done. And the second thing is to constantly remind yourself that done is better than perfect, because perfect doesn't exist. So if you're waiting for something to be perfect before you release it out into the world, it probably won't ever happen. Stumbling block number two comparison. One of my superpowers is turning anything into a competition. Truly anything. I have a whole stack of greeting cards on hand that say, I'm sorry I take board games too seriously, just in case. In the age of social media, where we get a pretty good view into what other businesses are doing, or at least how well they appear to be doing from the outside, comparison is really hard to avoid. We can see things like how big of an audience another business has, what opportunities have come their way, lifestyle things like their home or travels, hints about the size of their team, and how did they do all of that by that age. This one is hard, but all I can tell you is what you already know. This gets you nowhere. You can't do something truly original and unique by tracking what everyone else is doing. So hard as it may be, you have to stay in your lane and keep your blinders on. Number three, delusions of grandeur or the I'm the only one who can do this mindset. For the first 12 or 18 months of my stationary business, I did everything by myself. Stuffing envelopes with cards, loading and unloading my car at craft shows, lugging my tent all around Seattle, standing in line at the post office, everything. At first, because I couldn't afford to pay for help, but at a certain point, it became clear that I was just being controlling. I didn't trust that anyone could come into my business and care about it as much as I did. If you struggle with perfectionism, I'd put money down on the fact that this might apply to you, too. At a certain point, I just got overwhelmed and I was forced to offload some of my work. And here's what happened. My website is now created by a professional and so much better than it was when I made it. Shout out to Holly of Tropic Media Co. Products for Station 7, the retail store, are ordered on time and before things actually get completely sold out. Orders are fulfilled on a timely basis. Engagement on social media actually happens. Not only was my I'm the only one who can do this mindset overloading me with work, it was actually slowing my business down because everything had to go through me. Plus, one of my favorite things about progressing in my business has been choosing to make investments with the super talented, genuinely good people that I'd love to sit down with and have a whiskey sour. So there's this huge win-win of, A, I get to support the business or livelihood of someone that I care about, and B, I get time back. Take it from someone who knows. When you start a business, there's a lot of not-so-glamorous stuff you have to do. When you can afford for someone else to do this stuff, delegate it. Your time will be so much better spent elsewhere. Four, the trap of shoulds. There are a few shoulds in life that I support. You should stand up for what's right. You should be a good person. You should take care of yourself and others. But outside of those, shoulds are gross. I don't even want to write about them. Here are some of the shoulds you might be feeling. I should study something practical. I should keep my stable, dependable nine-to-five job. I should go to this networking event even though I'm tired and I know I won't enjoy it. I should post on Instagram every day. A should is a feeling of obligation. It's doing something because you feel external pressure to, not because you want to or feel called to. I catch myself falling into should traps pretty much every day, but I've worked to become more aware of it. Every time I'm able to notice and stop myself and make the decision of something I actually want, not feel like I should do, I make a better choice. All of the best things in my life have come from stepping outside of my comfort zone and the land of sheds. Number five, to-do list barnacles. To-do list barnacles. You know what I mean. It's that thing that's been on your to-do list every day for weeks, months, even years. And it just seems to be stuck there. You never get to it. This is a funny one, and it's related to the first thing on this list, where we talked about the dream team of perfectionism and procrastination. Things that tend to get stuck on our to-do lists are usually things that don't have a sense of urgency around them, which is why they don't get done. Things like organizing my Dropbox folders, documenting the system or process, doing business development outreach, or unsubscribe from emails. And while it's not urgent and it's not a huge deal if a day goes by and we don't get these things done, it's also not harmless. These little barnacles take up so much of our mental space. Day after day, as we write them onto our lists, and day after day, we don't get the satisfaction of crossing them off. We end each workday feeling like we didn't get everything done. So here's what I have to say about your to-do list barnacles. They have to go. So how do we get rid of them? First, ask yourself, is this item really a priority? It could be that you just don't need to do this thing. So if it's not a priority, take it off your list. If it is a priority, are you the only person who can take care of it? If there's any way to delegate it, then do so. If you need to do it, think about how much time it will take. Then, when you know how much time it will take, schedule it into your calendar. When the time you scheduled comes, this is the hard part. You have to actually do it. Even if it doesn't feel urgent, even if you have other things to do, you have to actually do this thing. (laughs) If you need accountability, like I often do, set up an online co-working session with someone and have them hold your feet to the fire. You can post about it on your Instagram stories and say, hey, I have to do this thing. I'm going to let you know when I'm done. I've done this when I need to clean up my studio. I'll take a Instagram story of the disaster that is my studio and say, I'm cleaning it up. And then I'm so embarrassed that I've posted this messy photo on the internet that I am motivated to get it clean. And then I post a clean one hours later. (laughs) And then finally, aim to keep your daily to-do list to three items that you can realistically accomplish. Don't set yourself up for failure. Overall... Don't underestimate the impact of day after day not finishing your to-do list. It adds up and it sends a signal to our brain that can create all kinds of negative thoughts and spirals about our productivity and efficiency and how much we're getting done. Trust me, it feels so good to get rid of these things that have been on your list forever. Okay, number six, overconsumption of information. Do you ever do that thing where you have a big project ahead of you and you just can't stop researching it, reading about it, scouring the internet, you feel like there's just one or two more things you need to learn and then you can get started? If it feels like I took the words out of your mouth, that's because this is a trap that I know all too well. Overconsuming information to avoid doing the work. To illustrate this, let's talk about my journey with watercolor. After I'd been doing calligraphy for about a year, I started to get curious about watercolor. This is a transition that a lot of calligraphers make because most calligraphers work in the wedding industry and wedding invitations often have both calligraphy and watercolor. So I wanted to get good at watercolor. But before I really ever put my brush to paper in earnest, here are some of the things I spent my time on buying an online course with a bunch of different watercolor instructors. Spending a bunch of money on nice watercolor supplies that were way too fancy for a beginner. Wasting hours of my life on Instagram, looking at other people's work and getting increasingly insecure that I'd never measure up. And watching YouTube videos of experts painting. There's a point where being informed is helpful, But we have to learn how to recognize when we're just avoiding doing the thing. In this case, I think I was avoiding getting started because I so badly didn't want to be bad at watercolor. Side note, guess what? I was really bad at watercolor for quite a while. Luckily, I enjoyed it so much that I was willing to keep going. So if you can recognize that you're in this place of over-consuming information to avoid getting started, here are a couple of suggestions. First, I touched on this a little bit, but public accountability is my kryptonite, and I know that's true for a lot of other people, too. What really got me going with watercolor, finally, was publicly committing to do a 100-day project where I would paint something and post it on Instagram every day. I knew I'd made a commitment. I told everyone what I was doing, and that knowledge just kept me going. The other tip I have is to make an action plan, but the key here is to get super, super granular. Break down each action item into the smallest individual step you can think of. This makes things that are difficult seem more doable because we're looking at just one tiny action at a time. As an example, when it came time to create this podcast, I was so overwhelmed. I put it off for months. But what finally got me started was two things. First, announcing a firm launch date, and second, creating a super, super detailed plan, down to writing a general script for each episode. And while the end goal to launch a podcast felt overwhelming, each small step along the way was doable. And hey, now I have a podcast. There's another reason that we overconsume information sometimes. And that's when we don't know what to do about something, we don't trust ourselves to make a decision, and we want someone to make our decisions for us. But here's something that you might not realize. Unless there's a technical skill or piece of knowledge that you need to make a decision, you almost always already have the answers you need inside. This sounds woo-woo, but intuition is magic, you guys. For every crossroads I've come to in my life or tough decision I've had to make... No matter how long I drag it out and make it more painful than it needs to be, the correct path to take has been in me all along. In episode three of this podcast, my coach, Jenna Starkey, provided this seemingly simple but actually magic piece of advice that can help you get in touch with your intuition. If you're ever struggling to make a decision or to figure out the next right step, ask yourself, what advice would you give to a good friend who you loved and care about? It's pretty wild how clear this reframe can make things. Number seven, avoiding judgment. This might surprise people who know me well, because I do a pretty good job of acting like I don't care what anyone thinks. But sometimes when I'm working on something, especially something that I've put a lot of heart into, I just get these thoughts that come across my mind. I imagine what random person from high school or college who I don't even talk to anymore would think about it. I imagine them judging me and it immediately puts up a wall of resistance. And then you know what I do? Nothing. I don't make the thing. I don't post the thing. I don't do anything. But here's what I've learned. If you want to avoid being judged, don't do anything. If you let it, this fear of judgment can hold you back from doing anything at all. So at a certain point, you have to ask yourself what's more important? Doing this thing that I've always wanted to do, or making sure that this random person I haven't seen in 12 years doesn't judge me. For me, there's been another thing that helps, and that's leaning into enthusiasm. I worked for someone once who told me, never underestimate the power of enthusiasm. It's really stuck with me. Enthusiasm is the opposite of cool, but it's actually way better than being cool. A few of my favorite things about enthusiasm are that enthusiasm is contagious. If you're excited about something, other people are too. Life feels a lot better when you're excited about it. Worrying about being too cool and not being judged takes a lot of energy and it doesn't really get you anything. And probably most importantly for me is that enthusiasm enhances your productivity more than any cup of coffee in the world. So there you go. My seven mindset traps to avoid while building your small business. Just to recap them quickly. Number one, perfectionism. Number two, comparison. Number three, delusions of grandeur or the I'm the only one who can do this mindset. Number four, the trap of shoulds. Number five, to-do list barnacles. Number six, overconsumption of information. And number seven, avoiding judgment. Okay, so if you are listening carefully, you know that one thing on this list is to avoid overconsuming information. So to me, that means reading and watching and listening to things about the work that you're doing, but not actually doing the work. So you've just listened to this podcast. I want to encourage you to take action by thinking about each of these mindset traps and doing some journaling. For each one, ask yourself, where does it apply to you? Where have you seen it in action in your own life? How does it serve you? How does it hold you back? One thing my coach Jenna from episode three often emphasizes in our work is how important it is for us to speak out what we're willing to do. So I'd encourage you to really examine which of these traps you see playing out in your own life and ask yourself if you're willing to go through the discomfort of letting go of them, of approaching life a different way. If you want some guidance on this, I put together a PDF worksheet that you can download with journaling prompts about each of these. To download the worksheet, head to makinggoodpodcast.com mindset. So what do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Connect with me at makinggoodpodcast on Instagram. As always, you can find details about each episode on our website. Head over to makinggoodpodcast.com seven. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to leave a rating and review. Not only would I so enjoy reading what you think, but it will help us get in front of other people who could also do good with their businesses. Thank you so much for tuning in and talk to you next time.